morning, everyone. Nice to see your smiling faces. That's what you look like. Some of you should put your mask back on, I think. <laughs> Romans 8.28. Last week, Pastor uh, Sam took on the challenge of Romans chapter 8. And that is a huge chapter. It's got so much depth and meat, information, theology in there, that I, I, I worked a deal with Sam. I said, oh, how about I take a couple of those verses and I'll handle them this week. So we're actually doing Romans 8b, the sec part two, the sequel uh, of Romans 8, because it, it really is an important chapter. Some people think that Romans 8 is the most important chapter in the Bible because it contains so much. So I'm going to look at just a few verses in Romans 8, starting with verse 28. And I'll just read it first so you get a picture of where I'm going in this message. Before I do that, <laughs> I'm just reminded, looking at my notes, um, this church and many churches offer their staff every seven years a sabbatical leave, which gives it a time to refresh, a time to relax, to um, let go of the concerns and worries of, of the past uh, seven years, and to look for three months to have a bit of a break and a rest to re reconnect with the family, uh, maybe take a class, maybe do some things you hadn't had a chance to do. And uh, Pastor Neil will be taking his uh, sabbatical leave starting about April 4th. He's going to preach a message on April 3rd, uh, and then he will be gone for three months, which means don't call him. <laughs> Unless you won the lottery and you want to share it with him, you can call him. But otherwise, don't text, don't email, don't phone I don't ask him questions. He's going to be taking a, a break. I told him, don't look at the cameras on your cell phone at the church just to make sure we're all working. And uh, just take a break. And so just so you know, starting uh, at the beginning of April, Neil will be having his break. And uh, please let him rejuvenate, recuperate, and, uh, and get a fresh, fresh wind and vision for ministry here at, at the church as well. Romans 8.28, we know that all things uh, work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. That's a challenging verse. Let me continue on. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Many years ago, when I was a young man, I was just finishing university in uh, Saskatchewan, and I had heard about a program, a missionary program called a Journeyman Missionary Program, by the, put out by the denomination I was working for at the time. And what it was is a two-year program where uh, university grads could go overseas and assist missionaries for two years. We didn't have to have theological training. We didn't have to have degrees in um, church work or ministry. We were just willing and had some skills and could go under the supervision of missionaries. So I looked into the program. I applied. And I applied to go, because I just got a degree in education. I applied to be a missionary kid teacher in Honduras, Peru, and the French West Indies. You see, I grew up in Saskatoon. <laughs> yeah. 
And I thought, how about I take a look at the, the southern hemisphere, somewhere that had palm trees and beaches and ocean. I wanted to, I wanted to live a little and explore more of, uh, of the world. So a couple of weeks later, I got a reply from the mission organization, and they said, congratulations, we've accepted you. We are sending you to Norway <laughs> as a youth pastor. Now, there's several problems with that. First of all, um, Norway wasn't on my radar. I actually didn't know where it was on the map. Secondly, I, had, I didn't even know a youth pastor. I'd never been in a church that had a youth pastor. I didn't even know what a youth pastor did. So I'm being sent not only out of my comfort zone, but I'm sending to, to a place that I couldn't even picture. So God and I had a little discussion. I was thinking he needed my help. He had some issues with geography. You know, a southern hemisphere, warm climate. <laughs> a northern hemisphere, not so much. Sending me to reindeers and fjords instead of beaches and palm trees. So I, I, I actually was mad at God because he wasn't complying with my request. And eventually he came to me and he said, Tom, I'm going to Stavanger, Norway. You're welcome to join me there if you like, or you can stay here where you are on your own. And I thought, okay, God, you win. <laughs> I will go. I went reluctantly. Um, but over the next two years, I learned a ton of stuff about ministry, about God, about how to be a youth pastor, about reindeer, and, uh, and, and, and I didn't know that 15 years later, I actually would move there with my wife and my three kids to become their lead pastor in the same church that I was working at as a youth pastor. I think God knew what he was doing. He didn't need my plans or my help. He just needed my obedience. But this verse about God working all things together for good started to come to play for me. And while I was there as a youth pastor, I was young, about 24 years old, single, and um, you know, uh, I had signed a contract that said, under no circumstances are you permitted to go back home. We're funding you to go to this place. We're paying your salary, your upkeep. We don't want you going back and forth. We need you to focus. Well, one day, I got a phone call from my aunt who was a long-term missionary in Eastern Europe. She and her husband were working in Czechoslovakia, Romania, Poland, Hungary, Russia, that kind of places. And she didn't usually call me. Uh, even when you're in Europe, it's still a long-distance call. And back then, you know, you had to work for a week to pay for a long-distance phone call. She said, Tom, um, your mom asked me to call you because what I have to say was too hard for her to say to you. Sit down. So I sat down and uh, got nervous. I didn't, know, I didn't have a very good relationship with her. I didn't know her so well. And she said, Tom, your sister Carrie has been diagnosed with Hodgkin's disease. And I'm going, I don't even know what that is. Is that like something on your foot? Or She says, it's cancer. And that word kind of, uh, it struck my heart. And... She says, well, if you, if you have to pick a cancer to have, that's probably one of the better ones to pick because it's got a, a good chance of survival. And <laughs> cancer and good chance didn't really hit me very well. And so I was uh, thrown for a loop for a while. I was her 
well, still am, her favorite brother out of the four. And I couldn't go back there. I couldn't go back during her treatments for radiation, for her hair loss, for the, the chemotherapy that would impact her life. She was just a kid going to North Delta, senior secondary at the time, and I was in Norway. So I went to a family's home um, a couple of weeks later, maybe that week. Uh, one of the church families went for dinner. Uh, they were nice enough to have me over because I'm trying to cook for myself for a couple of years. And uh, I told them about my sister and her situation. And the woman of the house said, well, you know, Tom, all things work together for good. And I just, I think I wanted to maybe throw something at her. Um, you know, I wanted to scream like, this is my sister we're talking about. She's 16, and she's got cancer. How, I almost want to say, how dare you say that to me? I didn't understand I, the, the, what my sister was going to go through, the potential loss of uh, my only sister, and I'm overseas, and I can't be there. And somehow, she throws this verse at me as if it's supposed to mean something. And I, I admit, I've had a challenge with this verse most of my life. I, I struggle with this idea about things. Because I don't think things do a whole lot. I, I kind of thought that things are not alive. They're not dancing around. They're not doing anything. They're just things. How can they, do, how can they work together when they're just things? So I, I really enjoyed the translation that says, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Because I know that God loves me, that he has a plan for my life, that I can trust him with whatever comes my way. I know that he can help me through it. But things working together, like that didn't make sense to me. What's worse, though, is some people take this verse and they, they want God to be blamed for everything. They know that God can cause everything to work together, but they just stop at God causes everything, the good things and, and the bad things. In fact, they go to the extreme to think that God causes evil things because he's sovereign, right? He, he's in control of everything. That's not what this verse is saying. This verse is saying that in the midst of everything that's going on, God can work, and he can work things out for our good. So, since Pastor Sam last week camped out on one word in his sermon, uh, I'm going to camp out on two words. <laughs> I'm going to expand it a little bit. The two words I want to look at for the next little while are all things. Because I, I did some research um, this, this past week, surprise, surprise, and, and I got a, a hold of this guy named John Gill. He's a theologian, and he opened my eyes to something I hadn't really seen before in looking at these verses. All things. All my life I considered all things to be just what was right in front of me. It, you know, like if I failed my driver's test for the second time, you know, I'd say, okay, God, how are you going to make this work together for my good? Or if I miss a flight uh, and I have to stay overnight in an airport, you know, okay, God, I was planning to come home and be with my family tonight, now I'm stuck in Amsterdam for another night. How are you going to work this out? And all my ideas of all things were really focused just on what was in front of me, my day-to-day -day circumstances, the news I got, um, the, the, the situations that faced me. So 
when I look at all things, it was just about what is happening in real time or at the moment, the things I can see. But John Gill uh, opened my eyes a little bit wider. He kind of blew the lid off of this, this verse for me this past week because he says all things may mean something quite different than what you think. So all things. Consider that all things might include all of God, the Father, all of his perfections, his purposes, his promises, his provisions, his performances. He is working together for our good at all times. All things also includes God the Son, Jesus Christ. He is continually working for our good. Our mighty Savior and Lord, our ever-present mediator, all that he is in himself, all that he has in himself, all that he has done or is doing, all of his titles and characters and relations, he is continually working for our good. Well, beyond that, the Holy Spirit is included in the word all things. So think about the Spirit of God continuously working things together for our good. His person, his offices, his operations, he is working in the council of peace, the covenant of grace and redemption of our soul. He's continually working together for our sanctification, and he is working for our glorification. These things never stop. All things include God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. But it goes on like that TV commercial. But wait, there's more. All created beings, both good and evil, ones in heaven and on earth, can they be included in all things? Angels? Demons? Can these be considered all things? You ever prayed protection of the angels around your kids as they're driving home a long distance or pray that God would you know, send his messengers of hope and grace and peace? Well, the angels, the good angels, the heavenly creatures, they're working for our good. They are included in all things. What about evil things? Can evil things like the devil, like demons, heretics, false teachers, can they actually be put in there with all things? Not that they're working for our good, but God can take what they do, meant for evil, and turn it around because in all things, God is working, including in evil things. He is present. He doesn't leave us there. What did Joseph say to his brothers when they came and found him in Egypt? Finally, they, they discovered that their brother that they had sold into slavery to get rid of him once and for all. They're standing there before him, and Joseph could have said, you know, off with their heads, throw them in prison, take what they have, and, and kick them out of the country. But what does he say? You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. Being sold into slavery is not a good thing. Being thrown into prison is not a good thing. Being beaten and whipped and scourged and starved is not a good thing. But God took it all and turned it around to be a positive thing for many, many people. What about Daniel? How'd you like to be taken from your home and brought down to another country? He was taken off as a slave to Babylon. 
He was ripped apart from his family, from his home, from his language. And then he, had, he got these, and he was just good, right? He was just praying and honoring God, and people didn't like it, so they had him uh, arrested. And not only that, the penalty was, was death for what they accused him of. And so the king throws him into a pit of hungry lions. Okay, we'll just stop there. What part of any of that is good? Like none. Like he's about to be ripped apart by lions. I can't imagine what's going through his head. Okay, God, like all I did was pray to you and I'm going to be killed because of it? God stopped what was meant for evil and put him in one of the highest places in the kingdom. He had the most respect. In fact, all of the enemies, yikes, that had him put into prison, had him arrested, them and their families were all thrown into the pit. You don't want to mess with God and his plans. What else? What else things can we include in what is good? All, all things that are good, the peace that we have and prosperity, uh, the, the things God lets us have, our, our homes, our health, our, our kids, everything. Even the snow, when I come over that bridge and I see the snow on the mountain, it's like, wow, like, this is amazing. Thank you, God, for, for your display today. And, uh, but also, what about the bad things? What about the things meant for evil? What about the things that people actually do to us to try and harm us? But God can take that too. God can take the bad things and the, the frustrating things and the, the devastating things and, and turn around what's happening and, and bring his purposes from that. Evil things? What about Adam's sin? What about original sin? What about sin that messed all of humanity up? That's probably the biggest baddest thing that's happened in humanity, but what happened with that? It showed us that we needed a savior. His sin, God took and turned it around to bring Jesus Christ to make a way of salvation for us. Even the worst sin in the world, God can take and step in and transform things for, for his purposes and his good. None of it was good, and he made it good from it. So, can you imagine if, uh, if you lived in Jericho and Zacchaeus was your personal tax collector and uh, he came to you and you know he's ripping you off but you couldn't prove it? And he always took more money. He was always ripping people off. It said he was the worst. He was the chief tax collector. That meant he got money from all the other guys as well. Uh, kickbacks and payoffs and under-the-table deals. He was bad. And what happened when he met Jesus? Well, it says he gave... How, much, how many times back did he give to the people he stole from? Four times much. So yeah, it's, to, it's almost like you wanted to have been ripped off by Zacchaeus. <laughs> Where'd you get that camel, Jacob? Oh, from my Zacchaeus money. <laughs> what, what are you talking about? Where'd you get that new horse? <laughs> well, my Zacchaeus money. Don't you get any? No, I didn't. What do you mean? You almost wanted to be ripped off by this guy because of what happened and the end result that God took that, even evil he meant, and blessed people. That's what God does. The good things, the bad things, the sins. What about our own sin? What about the temptations that you face? Can God use that? Is that part of all things? Well, I guess all things means all things. So your sin, your temptations, every time you, you want to do that thing that you know you shouldn't or... 
It tells you again about your weakness. It tells you, it reminds you that you need Jesus. It, it reminds us that we, we are desperate for him, for his power in us, for his wisdom in us, for his guidance in us. It, even the bad things and the temptations that come our way are reminders of how much we need him. He can take that. What about the, the people in the Bible that sinned, the good people that messed up in the Bible? Well, is that all things? I think it's all things. It's, it's there in front of us. We can read the Bible about how David sinned. He committed adultery. He committed murder. He, all these things that happened in the Bible cannot be all things working together for good. Well, we read that, and we we're reminded of, of what happens when people mess up. And we want to use that as a lesson for us to avoid the same kinds of things. We also see that when they messed up and they repented, they, they confessed, they turned to God, he forgave them. He's a loving God. We get, even that, even when other people sin, we learn from that and we take it in and, and it helps us. How about physical afflictions? How about that arthritis, that cancer, that hearing loss? How can they work together for our good? Well, they can't. They're bad. These aren't the things that work together. It's God who uses these things for his glory. God can take these things and make something of it for himself through us to bring him glory. So even my sister's cancer at 16 years old, I was to learn, brought a lot of people together around the world to pray. There was a lot of prayer going on. My dad had a lot of networks of people that he could call on and say, my, would you please pray for my daughter? We don't know if she's going to make it. The other girls in the same age with the same type of disease didn't make it. And I don't know what to say, except that God chose to respond to the prayers of his people through treatment and a lot of pain and suffering and prayers. She came through it. They said you wouldn't have children. She has two wonderful kids. One's graduating from high school this, this semester. The other one's in college right now. In fact, I just saw a video of her, her son singing in, in a worship service, doing a duet. Going, wow, like, he's, he's not bad. But you know, her story was put into my dad's book, Experiencing God, and she says, yeah, I'm chapter seven. <laughs> you know. And that's been translated into 50 different languages sent around the world. So millions upon millions of people have read her story and have been encouraged to know that God listens and God hears and that God responds. He's taken her cancer that could have taken her life and turned it into a story of grace and blessing for her. So back to the verse. All things work together. I still don't see things working very much, but I do see God working in the midst of all things. I see him stepping into our world. And we, we may not see what he's doing. It may not be the, the visible, tangible stuff that we see, but he's still at work. Uh, whether we see it or not, in prosperity or adversity, whether physical or spiritual, things are being worked to get together, not in and of themselves, but it's God who is the effective cause making all things work together for his people. And then it says all things work together for good. There's three kinds of good, according to Mr. Gill. He says there's the temporal good, what we see when you're driving home. You, everything that you see, everything you have, you touch, you, you smell. The physical world is, is, is good. 
He created it to be good. And, uh, but it's, it's something that we don't chase after, right? It's the temporal things, are none of it's going to last. It will rust. It will fade. It will need to be replaced. It will wear out all this stuff. And uh, those that, that chase after the temporal things, the physical things, the, the stuff that we fill our houses with, you know, they... They don't see that there's more good to life than just that, because the second kind of good is, is spiritual good. There's a, another world out there that we don't often remember and think about. As Christians, we live in two worlds, the physical, the temporal, and the spiritual, the eternal, at the same time. And when we often look only at the temporal stuff, the stuff right in front of us, God is always working in the spiritual world around us, drawing people to himself, affecting causes and, and effects that will touch their souls, Spiritual good is what God is doing. It's, it's conforming us to the image of Christ. It's working on the inside of us. The, the spiritual world is where God is most active all the time. It's, you know, it's what people of this world are least interested in, and, and it's what God's people should be most interested in. Because the spiritual good leads to the eternal good. Often, when you focus on the spiritual good and what God is doing, you get both the temporal and the, the eternal. He, he blesses you, uh, not to give you more stuff, but because it's a reminder that he is good. The goal of the eternal good is, is glory. It's being with God in heaven. It's being prepared for here for a life with him for eternity. What is to come? If all we do is focus on the temporal good and the pleasures of this world, we will miss out on the other two. We won't attain the spiritual and the eternal if all we want is the temporal. And it says that God works all things together for good to those that love God. There's a condition. He's working everything together for good to those who love him. For those that hate him, that despise him, that reject him, not so much. <laughs> He's not going to be working everything for good for everyone, but to those who love him, who, 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 who come before him, who cry out to him, who seek him, who want to live lives that honor him. He is constantly working everything together for you so that you will be ready when you get to see him face to face. And it says he's working all things together for good that love him and who are called according to his purposes. So who are the called? The next verses are kind of tricky because they talk about that foreknowledge and predestination. And there's a big debate about do we get to choose whether or not we're Christians or does God choose us instead? Is there free will in, in accepting salvation or is there predestination that says you have no choice at all? That God chose you and you, you just got to be saved. I'm actually not going to talk about that debate today. Because I don't think that that's what these verses are for. I don't think these verses were meant to, to question. This, these are man-made constructs, right? The whole predestination of free will. That's not in the Bible. It's, it's, it's terminology used here for, for a different purpose. And people form doctrines and teachings to try and explain what they think the Bible is saying. And it causes, you know, that debate won't be solved. It's been going on for hundreds of years by much smarter people than me, and they still can't agree. But I'll get to that in the end. Called according to his purpose. What is, first of all, uh, the called of God 
and the called of Jesus Christ are called out of a worldly kingdom into God's wonderful kingdom. It says, Gil says it this way, they are called from bondage to liberty. They're called from the company of sinful people to fellowship with Christ. They're called from a trust in their own righteousness to a dependence on his, to grace here and glory hereafter, which is done according to the purpose of God. So I'm quite comfortable with the free gift of salvation being offered to all, knowing that not all are going to accept it. Whether it's their choice or God decided to save them without their choice, it doesn't matter. It's offered to all. God so loved what? The world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. The Bible says many are called but few are chosen. In other words, the gospel goes out but not everyone will respond. What I'm seeing in this verse uh, that says, uh, we'll move on to the, the 829, says, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, for him to be the firstborn among many brothers. That's modern King James. The New Living says, for God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So God knew ahead of time who would respond to his offer of salvation and those who would believe in him and place their faith in him and submit to his authority in their life. And it was those people, it says, were predestined or foreappointed. Another translation says they were ordained to become like Jesus. In other words, God has searched out people around the world who are conformable to the image of his son. I'll say that again. God has searched out people around the world to find those who are conformable to the image of his son, because that's his goal, to conform us to the image of his son. People who are not conformable, who, who don't agree, who fight against God, who won't believe in him or trust in him or submit to him, he, he, he can't conform them to the image of his son. They are unwilling and they will not accept his offer of salvation. The way I see it is he's looking to conform us to the image of his son. That's his goal. That's why he's chosen us. That's why uh, he's, he's known about us from the beginning. Why did God pick you to be saved? Because you were willing to let him mold and shape you into the image of his son, Jesus, to exhibit love and joy, peace and patience, kindness, gentleness, self-discipline. All these things are what it means to look like Jesus. If, if, if you're not being conformed to the image of his son, there's an issue. There's a problem at the point, if you refuse to allow the Spirit of God to have his way in your life, you got to ask, can God accomplish his goal in your life? Or is there a heart issue that needs to be dealt with? Is there something that's preventing you from being shaped into the image of his son? Year after year, if you find that you're not if your heart is not being softened, if you're, if you're still an angry person, if you're still jealous, if you still battle with, with a, uh, coveting or, or other things, it's, if it's the same old you as it's been for decades, there's an issue. He says that he picked you and he chose you and he predestined you to be conformed to the image of his son, to look like Jesus. Romans 8, 29 and 30, for those he foreknew, 
he also predestined or foreappointed or ordained or predetermined to be conformed, to make, to make similar, to fashion similarly to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Meaning, he wants to, God wants to see Jesus in you. He wants to see people looking at you and seeing Jesus and how you act and how you talk and how you help and how you work. and Everything you do should reflect your commitment and love for Jesus. And if Jesus isn't coming out of you, you got to ask what's going on. Why, why doesn't God have his way in you? What are you why are you resisting? Are you, are you still looking for that, that temporal stuff, the still earthly stuff? Or are you willing to understand that he needs to fashion you here so you will fit in heaven? He's got a place for us in heaven, but we don't fit yet. <laughs> He's still working on us, molding us and shaping us into the, to fit into the spaces that he has prepared in advance for us. The end result of God's call in our life is to glorify you as he did his son. We are to look like Jesus, not just how he acted and talked on earth, but when he was resurrected from the dead, we're going to have a glorified body. We're going to be shaped and molded and fashioned into a, a person that will fit in his heaven. So if you're not cooperating with him down here on earth, I can't see there being a place for you in heaven. If you're not conformable into the image of his son, all your benevolent deeds and good actions will come to nothing. You're having a religious time here on earth rather than a relationship with the son of God who wants to live in you and live his life out through you. So is God having his way in your life? These verses aren't about debating Who gets to go to heaven? It's about what God's goal is for you and for me. It's what he's trying to do. So every situation and every circumstance that we face, all things are working together to help mold us and shape us and fashion us and rub off those those rough edges and smooth out the hard places that that don't fit into what God wants you to look like. He takes that car accident, that that disease, that the, 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 the wallet you lost last week, All of these things he can take. Are you more dependent on him? Are you crying out to him? Are you more deeply concerned in prayer? Are you seeing how he's helping everyone else in the spiritual realm because of what is happening in your life? You know, I can can look back on lots of things in my life and say, there are a lot of bad things that happened. But then I ask, how did God use that to shape me? How did he use that to mold me? What, What was he doing in the midst of that? I heard of a a, a, mis- a guy in a church, he was going to send a box of good things to a missionary in Africa. So he was collecting, he had a list of things that this, uh, the missionary needed, and he was checking them off, and uh, he, he put everything in there, he wrapped it up, he taped it up, he put the address on there, and he took it to the post office, and, uh, and he shipped it away. And about six weeks later, he got a letter back from the missionary, and, um, and he couldn't read it because he'd lost his glasses in the meantime. He didn't know where they were. And uh, he's, he's searching for six weeks for his glasses, and the missionary wrote back and says, thank you so much, so much for all the things you sent. It was perfect. Everything on the list says, but what I'd appreciate more than anything was the pair of glasses you sent. Because we couldn't get that prescription here where we are. And I, I can't read and function properly. And it was the exact prescription I needed. <laughs> True story. 
Even our, the bad things that happen, you see, God can take them and to be a blessing for someone else sometimes. What I want you to come away with today is that God is sovereign. He does not cause bad things to happen. He is the one that takes everything that is going on in our life and family and situations and circumstances and, and making something that is useful in his kingdom. He's, he's working in three different levels at all times, the, the physical and the spiritual and the eternal. It's all coming to play, and he has the right to take whatever is going on at any time, at any place in our life and use it to shape us. Well, we got to cooperate. We have to be the people that he can conform to the image of his son because the people's destiny depend on it. He wants to use us to make an eternal difference in the lives of those around us. He wants us to be involved in our community and in our neighborhoods and in our complexes, in our apartments, wherever we are. He's conforming us to the image of his son so he can use us to be a blessing and an instrument of peace wherever he has placed us. So this afternoon I'm leading a funeral for a fellow who's only a little older than me, I mentioned him a few weeks back. I mentioned he was taking his last breaths on a Sunday a couple weeks back, but he passed away that Monday morning. Larry had early onset Alzheimer's, and I watched him waste away these past five, six years. Um, he wasn't well-educated. He didn't have a lot of stuff. Uh, when he got married, his father-in-law didn't like him, so they had to elope. He um, worked in the community, didn't have, uh, I don't know, wasn't an impressive person with power and prestige or finances, but he was a light. You, could, you, you saw Larry when you walked into a room because he had a smile. He had a positive outlook on life. He, he showed Jesus to others and how he lived. He, he was a bright light in the community. He blessed the nurses who came into his room. He encouraged the other residents in the care facility where he was spending his final days. He prayed for his family regularly who did not follow Jesus. When he died a few weeks ago, he was surrounded by brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and his wife and uh, his twin brother, and they got to see Jesus take Larry from the old body into glory. And when I was with them that, earlier that day, I said, it's, a, it's an honor and a privilege to be in the room when someone takes the last breath. I've had a couple of opportunities, and you just, you see the body lying there, and you know that the soul is gone, on to be with glory, and, and that Larry was ready to go. He had had his last days, he was ready to go, and we got to see the transition from here to there. In the blink of an eye, his simple life impacted others because he let the Spirit transform him into the image of Christ. He showed Jesus to the people around him. So it's not about working harder. It's not about being more committed or giving more to the church. It's about giving over control of our life to God. It's about fearing God more than you fear people, about obedience and grace, about love and mercy to those around us. It's about knowing who you are in Christ and letting Christ in you shine brightly to others around you. Don't try harder. Give up more. <laughs> you know, we used to talk about um, surrender. And there's a bit of a morph in uh, churches that started talking about commitment. Just commit your life. 
Commitment seems to have narrower confines, whereas surrender says, I give up, I give up, give up everything. I'm, I'm, I surrender. God, my life into your hands. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, the Bible tells us you're a good God, that you're a loving God. Somehow, you're able to take even the worst things that happen to us and transform them and use them in a way that brings glory to you. The worst possible things, even in Ukraine right now, people having their places bombed out, lives being so needlessly wasted. You're seeing the whole world come together. You're seeing churches step up. You're seeing people coming to Christ to witness of those faithful ones that you have placed in such a horrible situation that they remain firm, undaunted, convinced that you have a purpose and a plan for their life to make a difference where they are. We pray for these suffering people in this situation. Father, we do pray for you to intervene. Shut down this war. In the midst of it, Father, we know you're doing your thing. We know that you're transforming lives. We know that you're saving souls. We know that you're doing things, Father, to bring glory to yourself in a roundabout way, but in a purposeful, meaningful way. May we, Father, see our lives every day as being intersecting with your Spirit who is guiding us into every situation and through it. Even the most mundane things, Father, you can take and use it for your glory and your purposes. Father, let us be willing to be molded and conform to the image of your Son for your purposes. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.